Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Hey everybody! Welcome to the Jen. Hi, welcome to the Jen Lowry Writes podcast. I am so honored and blessed to have Miss Karen Blumenthal with us today on the podcast. So, Karen, first, thank you so much for just being here and sharing your story, and just tell us a little bit about you. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so, I am a native of Dallas. And um, I spent most of my career as a journalist, most of that at the Wall Street Journal. Um, since we're talking from, to you from North Carolina, I'll add that I'm a very proud Duke University graduate. Uh, I love North Carolina. And, um, but I spent most of my career as a journalist. And then uh, and I had a bad day at work one day. Maybe you've had one of those too. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, maybe, I, maybe there's something else I could be doing. Um, I had a daughter who was very interested in nonfiction from a very young age, loved history. And um, it was a bit of a challenge to keep her in the right kind of books. And as I read what was available in the libraries, um, I thought, well, maybe I could take my skills as a journalist and I could apply it to nonfiction for young people. And one of the things I truly love about writing for young people when you're writing nonfiction is that the, the focus is very tight. The narrative is, is, very, is very focused. You don't go off on all those different rabbit trails that you do in, in adult stuff. So you can, you can really just tell a story straight on. And I love that. So, uh, so I have written now nine books for young people. And I do have some of the collection here. I went ahead and said, first, all of you guys know I'm such a huge proponent uh, to the public library. Um, and you too, not yes. only win in YASLA awards for your books, but um, you also volunteer with the library, correct? I saw yes, I, uh, I, sit on the, I sit on three library boards. <laughs> Love. I sit on the Municipal Library Board in Dallas, and I'm on the board of the Friends of the Dallas Public Library and also the Friends of the SMU Library. So I'm a bit of a library nerd. So that is what I love about you is that you are just so invested. Like yes. this isn't just, okay, I'm going to move from, from this journalist angle. I'm going to put these YA books together, but you're here. You're living it. And I'm just very thankful for that. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys what I started with, with Karen's work. Um, as soon as I found out about the podcast, I ordered both of these. Like I had them in a day. I got them straight off Amazon. Um, first, just love the looks of these. Look at that. And I started with Steve Jobs. And I have to tell you, every, so you've got this finance background. Right. And it can really, it really shows because you do highlight parts about the stocks and you, you know, all of his, you know, business principles and all of that. But the storytelling in this is just superb. Oh, well, thank like, you. Like you get to feel like you're right there, you know, just sitting with you having a conversation over coffee about Steve Jobs walking around barefoot and all of the ups and downs that made this man who he was. And it's just this 
authentic voice about him. It's not like this, it's not one-sided. It's just a total picture of who he is. Um, I was just so, so impressed with this, getting in the hands of young adults. So that, that sparked me going, oh, I can't wait to get your next book in the mail that just came out this week. So I started reading this one because I got it first. <laughs> I was like, yes. Now Bonnie and Clyde is coming up next week. Um, I will tell you, I I have a thing about um, like crime thrillers. I, I love watching documentaries and I'm like, okay, I'm definitely gonna get this one. And this was timely too because of like Netflix series right. and all of that. So if you know young adults are interested you know, just wanting to read more. You've got these, but you got a whole stack. What am I talking about? You got a stack. Okay, but we gotta talk about Jane. Okay, so Jane Against the World, Roe versus Wade, and the fight for reproductive rights. Okay, when I got it, I started, and it was so hard for me to put the book down. Really? Wow. Yes, because when you know something about a topic, you don't really know something about a topic until you have a sustained reading experience and this isn't just an in and out you know article here or there this is a historical overview of reproductive rights for women and starting with the 1800s and even before you do all of the you know the early work too and i'm like fascinated with all of that so your daughter's love of history yeah and you knowing that you can't just start you know, where the fight is today, you have to go back and really paint this picture of what it has looked like over time. But you do that so well. Oh, wow. Thank you. And you do it in a way that would engage a younger reader. And with the the, the excerpt pieces that you have in there, it just, it's, it all just works just so well. I saw your New York Times review already from the, from the book. You already have it. Yeah. You're already getting all of this positive praise about the book. So, so how does that make you feel like right now, knowing that this <laughs> just came out, y'all? Well, well, you know, you work on a book like this. I mean, I live in Texas, you live in North Carolina. You know that people have a lot of different feelings about mm -hmm. issues. And so I was very sensitive to that the whole time. And I struggled a lot with fairness and respecting other points of view. Um, so there was, I had a lot of self-doubt and a lot of anxiety as I was reporting this. Was I doing, you know, as I was writing it and reporting it, was I, was I being fair? Was I being thoughtful? So it's a huge relief, to be honest, um, to get a very nice review in the New York Times, to get some very nice reviews. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, uh, there's a lot of information in the book, which as you mentioned, and I yeah. thought, oh my goodness, I've just overdone it, you know, but I, I, I had a lot of readers on this more than I usually do saying, what, what should I cut? I just feel like it's too much. And, um, you know, it, it really helps when to hear people like you say that you were interested in it because it interested me. That's why it's there, but you don't know if, um, you know, you're overdoing it. So. Well, what, what I loved is that you looked at many different angles. Right. And so right. When, you, when you look at, of course, this is your journalist background. This is, this is your expertise here. You're in the element because you do not plant yourself on one side. You show this is the straight facts and you speak it in such a, like, a matter of fact way that you do not 
emotionally flower it up if I want to say yeah. that and I know it's like a weird way of saying it but you just really get to the heart of all of the issues from all angles so regardless of what your belief systems are you know what you're walking in to reading any kind of book when you're reading any kind of nonfiction, you're going to have your own belief systems being able to read a fair and accurate account, a historical account like this, where discussions can be had about it in right. a way that is not threatening, in a way that is just straight to the point. That's when you walk away from a book and you say, this is a great book for discussion. Because, because you have, you've laid it out in that way. So, you know, I mean, for me, I loved it even going through the Supreme Court cases, I would not have thought that that would have interested me. I'm going to be honest with you about that. <laughs> you know, and I would have to tell my husband who's, so I'm cuddled up with my husband watching, he's watching YouTube and I'm sitting here reading, reading, and I'll say, pause it, stop it a minute. Just stop <laughs> and then I'll, I'll read something to him and I'll say, did you know that? And he'll say, Oh yeah, I, I knew her, but who did she get replaced by? So he he knew a little bit more about that kind of world um, of the Supreme Court justices. But then I'd be like, no, wait, let me read this. So I would read him chunks <laughs> uh -oh. of it. And then he would say, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. And so I had no clue, even though you've heard Roe versus Wade, like your right. whole life, you've heard right. it. Right. And there's crazy stuff. I mean, I've heard, I mean, I'm from Dallas. It's a Dallas case. I had no idea that the entire amount of courtroom time was three hours. I mean, can you imagine a case today that would be, you know, one hour in the federal court and two hours before the Supreme Court and that's it? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So I thought, you know, there were a lot of fascinating parts of the story. It was, and, and not, so another thing that I was very interested about um, and I don't know all of the, like, the, so for me, I'm reading almost with this YA knowledge. Like, I don't have a firm grasp of, like, a legal system and all of the terminology. And you're talking about the lawyer's cases and, and filing all of this. And I got it all. And I was right in the middle of it, you know, turning page after page on both sides of the court through both lawyers' eyes, through both of, you know, of that information. And so that's just so, so cool to me that how you presented it in that way and you take a reader like me, who would be very typical of just a reader who does not have maybe that background mm -hmm. and you immerse me in a story, a, a, a struggle and you put me in this struggle and I walk away going, you know, wow, you know, now did it change my position about you know, abortion rights and, and women's reproductive rights, I still have my religious beliefs mm -hmm. and my convictions about that. But it, it gave me this greater sense of understanding. And it gave me an opportunity now to be able to take a conversation and, and really explore it from many different angles wow. and many different sides. And that's what I truly respect about the work. I appreciate that. I yeah. appreciate. That. Yeah, it was. And it, it is. Was. It is complex. It's all very complex, and it, there's a lot of long history. Um, I'm gonna turn that. I'm just gonna hang up. Um, 
there is a long history, you know, that, you know, goes back to the beginning of time. So when I, I did start, I said start early, partly um, because I thought it was important for people to know how this has changed, mm -hmm. over, how attitudes have changed, how we had to learn a lot of things before people could develop certain attitudes. So Right, right. Um, and how climate affects, yeah. how society affects, how, and even I was thinking about how some of the key figures in the movement, their support systems affected the way that they approached yeah. the topic. Right. Their dinner table conversations <laughs> right. really did give them this food for thought and gave them a basis to then move with carrying, you know, how they were trying to make sense of reproductive rights for women. What did that look like? That just lets you know it's not just this one aspect. We all come in with a story. We all come in with experiences and the people around us can help shape us in that way too. And I found that to be, not that it's like eye opening for me, but it was just revealing to see that and that you brought those pieces out along the way, showing how spouses or family members or you know, colleagues working together you know, to meet the common goals, like all of it just fits so perfectly and just in such a natural way that just carries you through all of this thought. So this book, this book is so thought provoking. It is so, for example, like with Steve Jobs, you know, I'm reading it two hours. I'm, you know, I'm reading. I've got Steve Jobs done two hours. I'm, that's about a tip. No, I'm just a fast reader that way. I'm not trying to brag y'all. I'm not, I'm just saying, you know, this is the book that you get through and you, you know, you see the, you know, you see the man and you, you see the perspective and you learn from all of that. But with Jane, Jane is a different kind of experience. Like I see Jane as a different reading experience. Jane was a, a, a not that it dragged, but it is a slower type read experience because you're having to take in every piece and then you're really having to think about it. And you're, it's so it's a, this one for me did take me more time, but it's because of, I think, the nature of the topic, you know, the nature of all the historical backgrounds. Um, and for me, just gaining all of this new understanding, not that it was a slow read, but it was a thoughtful read. It's long too, though I should add. <laughs> it's longer than most of my books. So but I'm gonna tell you I older high school kids. And not that who am I the person to critique your books, but there's nothing that you could have cut out. It's not, <laughs> not I don't like, know. I wrestled with that. You do? It's it's not like I can say, okay, well, if you would have taken this chunk out, who it really wouldn't have changed the dynamic of the book or the message of the book. I think it all had its place. It all had its story. It all had its element that needed to contribute in some way. So if you would have asked, like if I was on some team and you were going, what do you cut out? I would have said, nothing. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Leave it as is. Um, because I think every progression piece of the story is its own merit in itself. Yeah. Well, that was the idea. Yeah. Was build. So that you had a bigger sense of, you know, I didn't want to think it just wasn't just a couple of people. There were a lot of things going on. Um, it wasn't just lawyers. There were doctors. There were women. There were men. 
there were clergy, you know, there were a lot of people involved and in lots of different ways. And so I really wanted to paint a picture of all the activity that was going on and all the discussion. Right. And so how did you, how did you come to this whole planning process with the book? Like, did you have a vision of that from the beginning that you wanted it to be that way? Or did you piece that as you went? Are you like me, just a pantser and sitting right? Like, well, no, I do start, I do start with the plan. I usually start with the outline of the chapters. Um, and I, but I'll tell you, I was, I really blew it on this one. So I thought I was just going to write about Roe versus Wade and tell the story of the fight, you know, for abortion rights. And, um, uh, and it kept growing and growing because I realized, well, if I'm going to write about that, how did they become illegal? And then I real then I learned pretty quick that um, there had only been abortion laws for like a hundred years, really a little bit more. Um, when Roe versus Wade comes to the court, maybe 120 years, but not much more than a century. Um, and then, so then that raises the question of what happens before? And then that raised the question of, well, of course we didn't know, they didn't know very much about where babies came from. I mean, some simple stuff. There was not a reliable, there wasn't a really reliable pregnancy test until the 1970s. Right. So <laughs> that's crazy. You talk about that process and I'm like, for real? Like For real. These things. Uh, you know, this should be like general knowledge that a woman, a lot of us never was like, really? Oh my gosh. They, you know, an egg is a cell. They, could, they didn't have the microscopes and stuff mm -hmm. to even see that or to understand that. So um, the people who were trying to find it, you know, I didn't go, go into this, but like in the early, you know, long hundreds of years ago, they like, they kept trying to cut open animals and stuff to find the egg and they could, they were looking for like a hen's egg or something, right? And they couldn't find it. So, you know, so the men just all assumed they were fully responsible for babies, which is, you know, kind of entertaining to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and it really isn't until the 1800s, really 1870s, when somebody finally can see in a microscope how um, a sperm and an egg combine. So right. to me, that's all really fascinating. That stuff, I actually did do a lot of research to find that out. And then I wanted to share it. Right. And so, <laughs> so you that was, you know, it grew. So then I realized that reproductive rights and the question of controlling Right. They can be able to decide how many children and how you space them and all that is, um, is, is intimately tied into who women are and what they can become. And so, you know, it was not, I couldn't just focus on this court case without broadening it. So that's what happens. And also, even the Supreme Court, you know, it's not till 1965 that the Supreme Court says, you have a right to have birth control, you married person. And it's not till 1972 the year before Roe versus Wade, that a single person has a right to birth control. Mm -hmm. So there, it's very deeply intertwined. I didn't expect that. So that was, so the story kept growing. So I didn't up. expect it walking in because yeah. when I saw the title, like I really thought that I was going to be in the midst of the course and from, you know, from the inception of that up until like today. So I thought that's what I was going to get. And when I opened the book and it says 1800s and it starts in New York and it starts with, you know, the woman of the house, you know, working her business and then, you know, illegal mailings and then what happens next and what really like all of this, all of it was a fascinating journey to see prior, you know, just the whole revelation of how it just came to be and how it was and how it was accepted um and so it did shed light on a lot of things for me that 
I mean, one, this is just something we definitely don't go around talking about in the general public and the population. I mean, you're not like going to go meet up with friends and just have like these kind of conversations. Whereas if you're going to be talking about your Apple phone, you're going to be talking about Steve Jobs, right? But you may not necessarily just in passing or in, in small talk, talk about reproductive rights. And if you're not like interested in historical relevance and all of that, you may not take the time to go out and research it. That might not be what's on your plate. Right, but I right. feel like that this topic is so needed for people to have an understanding about from the full spectrum that that's what this book does for people. It allows you to have a place where you can wrestle with these topics, where you can deal with all of this from many different perspectives and get yourself through it walking away with more than just a headline snapshot. Well, so just, just as, you know, background again about, about YA. So first of all, there's nothing like this out there. There's not an adult book out there. And what I found actually, when I wrote about Hillary Clinton was when you, when people do adult books, they have, they have a very strong points of view. So the Hillary Clinton books, we either love her or hate her, you know, and there's, there's very little like just down the middle, like here is who she is and she's complicated and there's things you might like and things you might not like about her. And, um, and the same with Steve Jobs, right? So people, yeah. they love them, they sort of make them into these, you know, hero-like figures yeah, or, or they, they sort of dump all over them. And um, so one of the things about YA that is cool, like if you were writing this book for adults, or this is why this book doesn't exist, all the books for adults are either very pro or very, you know, they take a very strong view and they're very much kind of what I would call polemic. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, uh, this is, this is the right view by my standards or whatever. Right. And I, I think that's one of the cool things about YA nonfiction is that you, you really, there is balance, which is rare in the adult nonfiction world. Mm -hmm. So that is what I was aiming for. And that is one of the reasons I like doing what I do because, because you, you really do show, you go down the middle, which is hard. It doesn't necessarily sell to adults that way. It's unfortunate. But I still think that this book is applicable for adults as well. Right. Because Whether, they don't have that. Right. Right. Because they don't. And, and so they will have, you know, what they've been conditioned or what they've been influenced and if they don't have a strong identity about it and they're not standing on like their foundation about it, then it's just, it's a rocky, you know, slope. And so that's why it's important for us, you know, just as readers to share what we love about books, even if we don't agree with all sides, that's fine. There's, right. there's nowhere that says I have to, or I have to as a reader, like every single thing about Steve Jobs, because there were some times in the Steve Jobs book that I was like, I'm really glad I don't have a boss like that, that I have one of the best bosses in the world as a principal, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, because then I would start thinking about how would that feel in that work dynamic, in that workplace. But then again, you look at, but wow, that creative genius. If you could just be around that for a little bit, how could just that kind of freedom to think different make you, you know, maybe rub off on you a little. So it's not that we should ever go into any kind of nonfiction work. We should be open. Wow. And I think that the YA population, I think our group that we work with, they are so open. Mm -hmm. 
and they are just ready for truth. They're ready for that. And, but, and but it has to be true. And that's the other thing. I mean, I really, that's why it's very hard to make sure everything's true. And because that's why it's the I first said, time they come to a subject. Yeah. And that's why I said they're ready for these truths because, right. you know, society is just built in a way of bipartisanship and society is built in such a way and they're so inundated with a lot of negative influences. Books can't be that for them. Right. Well, and, you just they deserve to they deserve to have something well researched and not not just what some person said that I copied. <laughs> and they deserve, you know, to have it be thoughtful. I mean I really I have huge faith in teens and their ability to make sense. Of this and I think they're looking you know you get to the age I write for is that age seventh eighth grade when the world gets bigger and you get mm -hmm. you start to ask a lot of questions in a different way and um, so that's part of the fun of doing this I think and so like uh, you know the questions that you know can come up with you know teenagers or even adults you know that are reading this is okay what's the difference between a constitutional right and a right of morality. Where where is the line here? And these were topics that you brought up in such a healthy way. Like you brought them up in a, in a healthy, safe place, even though the topic is extremely controversial in the world. Right. You presented it in a place where someone can start saying, "Okay, let's talk about viability now. Let's look at research now." and be able to then leave this knowing that they have a factual structure. They have structures now in place about this topic that are not just one-sided, that they are broad. Right. And they have that, they can now have that understanding so when they go out and continue their research and when they continue to shape their identities around this topic, they have been given, you know, something here now to stand on and be able to talk about it in a more fluid way instead of a disjointed way. Right. And I would never tell anybody what to do. Right. And that's the other and thing. You I, don't. Want, I want them to have facts. I want them to understand what what terms mean and yep. you know, what the laws are or aren't, how different people think. But I would never want to say something is, you know, right or wrong. That's for them. And that's, I mean, that's another great thing about the teen readers to give them space to make up their own mind. So, and you've um, done that and you've done it so well and you've written it. And at times I would forget that this was a YA book. <laughs> I am 44 years old. You know, you know, my husband, I'm telling his age, he's 50 and we're sitting here, you know, sharing and I'm reading and I'm stop. Let me read this. Stop, <laughs> let me read this. Did you know this? And you know, even with us, like as much as we do try our best to stay abreast of the current situations and everything that's in the media and all of that, we still go in it with this sense of urgency to find truth, mm -hmm. you know? And so imagine a young adult who is trying to have this same type of engagement, yet they might not have the filter system yet they may not have the structures in place and that's what your work is providing for them. You're providing them a place to start from, to springboard from. And that's why like the law and justice courses in high school, yeah. like law and justice courses, this would work so well 
as a read, like, you know, as an option. Uh, it might not be for everyone either, and that's fine because there might be some, you know, individuals that might not be ready to look at that full spectrum of all of that yet. But for those who are, I could see it. And even though it's in that YA sweetness yeah. of our YA world, I can see this so much in also a college setting. Yeah. Like being placed in the hands of readers, really being able to break down arguments, to really be able to look at claims and evaluate claims and how do you present material you know that is factual but you're doing it in such a way that is storytelling because you do the rhetorical devices all the way through I mean you are really appealing to to the reader um, you know you'll take them on this emotional journey but you're also still getting to the knowledge the facts here's the basis of these arguments but we still have people who are emotional beings, you know, more than not. And so by your storytelling technique, the way that you do that, I think that's what will put people with you for the long haul. So your that's, reader- That's what you try to do. That's what you try to do in narrative nonfiction, yeah. Because, you're, because your reader is gonna love your style. And so if you have a, and so when you read multiple books from an author, you'll start to pick up these kinds of things. And so when you start with a book, that is, is a lot more of a light read. You know, this one is, it, you're not, unless you're, you know, in the whole debate of, you know, Mac versus, you know, all that, and you're, and you're like, oh, I got to get more of this. But if you're in it just to discover the man. Yeah. Then, then this one is, still has that same kind of style. Even when you move over to Jane you still present the material in this in this way that is so accessible to youth and, and that's what we need accessibility to topics to people in a way that is not just like we said this you know this one-sided slant or this lean because we have this you know moral conviction or because we have this experience or because we have this upbringing or because we have this you know, this formed that whatever has shaped this experience in our minds, mm -hmm. we still have to go in and access information mm -hmm. and, right. un and understand that we will meet people. I don't know if we'll, I'll meet anybody as ever as extreme as a Steve job. <laughs> However, I guarantee you, I will meet people in my life that are not always going to have the same opinions as I do. Right. And so how do you grapple with that kind of communication? It's by allowing teens to work through books like this that show the full gamut, that really show it and shed light on the truths of it in such a way that allows them maybe to, you know, step out of their own conviction or to step out of their own way and say, well, even though that might not be, you know, my opinion, I can respect those facts. I can respect that way. Right. And then, or at least understand how somebody else feels. You know, I yeah. think that sometimes we don't even try to understand. So, Or we don't give them room because, you know, it's such a argumentative-based world. Like everybody, you'd rather talk than listen. Right. And when you're reading, and when you're reading a book, all you're doing is listening. 
I mean, you're having you're having an internal dialogue. I'm not saying we're not doing some type of talk. And yes, I am nudging my husband and talking to him <laughs> about it. But we listen more. And and you're the perfect person, I think, to carry on with topics like this and to continue this work and to bring this kind of work to young adults. That way they'll have that that clear vision about it. It'll, it'll be clearer to them because it was clear for me. And so I appreciate and I appreciate that because and I often will get in conversations with people that, you know, might be on a different side than me. And I never try to convince them. I never feel like I'm going to win the battle to to change their mind. However, now that I walk into that, I have so much more knowledge. That's great. So much more understanding about it that that's what makes me very grateful that I had an opportunity to read the book. That's you know? good. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And so out of all of your books, I, I mean, do you have one that stands out to you that was the most challenging to write? Oh, no, clearly this book was the most challenging. I was mean, it? it's a very complicated subject, and there's just a lot of um, spin on all sides. So that was hard. And it's a, you know, it's, it's not a happy subject, you know, to spend a lot of time on. I spent a couple of years on it. Um, you know, there's some, there's some very sad pieces of it. And, um, but I also tried to reflect that. I didn't, I didn't try to sugarcoat anything. So um, that's part of it too. Um, you know, the difficulties, the challenges, the emotional aspects of it for for both um, women and for uh, medical providers. So um, anyway, so I tried to, to convey all of that. Goodness gracious, I'm sorry, my phone never rings this way. So I apologize. No, you're fine, you're fine. And so, so yeah, so it was, it was really, this was the, by far the most challenging, although Hillary Clinton was pretty challenging too, because she's pretty complicated. So I, um, I think really trying to showcase someone like, like writing about Mother Teresa. I just, you know, when I read it, you know, I love the book and I was like, oh my gosh, I would not have wanted to tap that. I would not like that that alone is just such an enormity just to think about your representing the face of a movement with Jane. Right. Right. Well, right. And it, and it, it did get big. So, you know, yeah, like, it covers, it does cover a lot of territory. And, and like, so this is kind of, this isn't just about, the group J, or this isn't just about Roe versus Wade. This is a right. movement. Right. This is, you know, activism and voice and choice and and so much that it is a heaviness. And and women finding a way to define themselves. So yes. yes. In a very male-dominated society, that was, you know, and you bring all of those aspects out. Like you bring it out in such a way that says, oh wow. You know, I never thought of it that way. And oh, oh gosh, I guess that is true. And and to see, you know, just how I would say slow, but then again, when you say the laws, you know, haven't been built over the past 100 years, like you would think that this has been something that, you know, you just don't know until you spend the time in it. And the research for you, like, how did you decide, like, looking at so much, how did you really pick and choose, like, 
what did you what did you do did you weigh it out did you say this to this or oh or did you just let that inspiration hit you when you saw it you knew it was right well you try you know you try to tell a story right so um i always when i'm doing nonfiction, i always try and identify my characters i call them my characters i usually have a lot fewer characters than i do in this but in this case i wanted to show that it wasn't a small group of people that there wasn't just you know one person here one piece it was more complicated than that so i have more characters than i usually do and you um you try and select the stories that illuminate so i did cut some out <laughs> but um but i you know i decided on who the characters were and then you really drill down and try to understand them better and try to understand their motivations better um and it was interesting you know i wanted to to be honest this is there's only one other book out in the whole realm of books about this subject that read the state papers from texas that that looked at all the legal documents that the state of texas collected and um that shocks me i mean even the adult books like that's a basic thing to ask for ask for the what's available on the other side it's because they're because it was the state at least some of it is public record right um and i was able to i mean there are thousands of pages of documents but there's you know, there's handwritten outlines and there's memos and letters and stuff like that. It's very illuminating about the challenges that the state had. I mean, they're overworked deputy attorney generals and um, and so they, they got help and, and, you know, it was just, you know, I felt like that part of it is also really part of the storytelling. So then, it, then of course, it was trying to narrow it all down and figure out the best way to, to move the story along and tell it. Um, you know, with the court case at the heart of it. But the court case is fascinating. I went and read all the personal papers of, of every Supreme Court justice I could. I got, I think I read seven of the nine. One of them is not yet public and the other one was, I think at Yale and I just didn't have time to get up there. But, you know, you could see their memos and their exchanges and- And their grading of the- their grading. <laughs> and, you know, to some degree, there's a little bit of like high school behavior there. I mean, they get kind of petty. And, you know, Wait, really? Uh, and you're with each other. You're talking about their physical appearance, and then you're going to give them a, a B. And then you're right. going to give them a C. And I'm thinking, okay, what are you going to give Karen Blumenthal about her response? <laughs> <laughs> so you I guess he he said later, maybe that he does the physical appearance so he can remember what they right what who it is. But still, it was just yeah, uh, yeah right. Exactly. He calls Sarah Weddington plump, and you're like, I have to tell you, I was sitting in the Library of Congress. And I'm yeah. reading that and I saw that and I just literally, I literally banged my head on the desk because <laughs> you, you can't be noisy. But right. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just saw that. <laughs> I know, trust me, those were the same thoughts that were going through my head. And I was like, you know, first the intimidation factor for a 27 year old, 28 year old, right. you know, standing up and doing this work and really running circles to me. Yeah. Um, just, it was just good like to see the prep work and the time that she put into that right um but yeah. if you like if you're like into that you can go listen because it is all online um now for years and years you couldn't actually hear the recordings but i don't know how long it's been but for at least a decade they they're online under this oye oyez.org website and so you can actually hear them and you can hear how like intense sarah weddington's texas accent is and this woman from Georgia, who was the um, assistant attorney general there, 
uh, Dorothy Beasley, who, who became a judge in, um, in Atlanta um, and spent most of her career as a judge. I mean, she's dynamite and you're going, and she's, she's representing the state. So she's, you know, but she is, she is really well-spoken and she's got great inflection. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't see her per se, but she's, she's terrific. And she makes all the rest of them look not quite so good. So it's all very interesting. Yeah. So good. So for me, like, what do you see for Jane? Like, do you see, I know it's libraries everywhere. I I guarantee, I guarantee. Well, I hope, you know, I hope that it will be both girls and boys who read it want because they want to know more. I hope it will be mothers and children, mothers and teenagers. I mean, it is for teenagers. Obviously it's a subject that's for really older teens. I agree. But I do hope that it will be a way for people to talk about their own, their own morals, as you say, their own personal opinions, their own feelings about um, these issues, because they're really crucial to who we become. Right. You know, and, and for women in particular, and for girls, this is, you know, decisions about reproduction are our unique challenge. So, um, I think it's important to understand. And, you know, in a lot of schools now, um, health classes may not, you, know, you may not even, t- uh, in, my, in my area, health used to be required. I don't think it is anymore. So well, in North Carolina, they have added um, additional courses, even on sex trafficking. Oh, uh, that is a required course um, now for all ninth graders. Um, they're doing suicide prevention in health now, which is required in all ninth grade courses and so I think the move yeah I think the move is going towards we really need to start addressing topics with youth you know that can affect them on the daily and we just can't assume that if you don't talk about it they're not going to do it so um I you know I do hope for teens while it's serious and it's nonfiction, I do hope that it you know, for the, for the right teens, it, it's meaningful. Yes, agreed. And with the parent discussions along with that. That would be great. Because then that would be the parent and their teen discussing something in a safe place. Like, and you give them a point of reference that is, you know, like I said, straight to the heart of it, the matter of it, you know, it's just, it is, the discussion is what it is. It is like you're talking about rape and incest and you're talking about those kinds of things because that's a part of the abortion discussion. When is it this and when is it that, you know? So you'll go into those. That's why I say like you, like older teens with their families going through these and actually wrestling with these and seeing churches stances on these and seeing politicians stances on these and looking at activists and looking at all angles and being able to break it down because with having a safe place like this book and having safe dialogue with your family that's a place where they can learn also to be able to go out into the world and be able to address these issues in a non-combative way, but just like in an understanding and a compassionate way, in a way that they can, you know, still have their thoughts and opinions valued and heard instead of how so many people want to just cut it off if it's not what they want to hear, you know? And so I think that this book is so needed. 
uh, for homeschool families of older teens looking at, like I said, those law and justice courses. Like, yeah, I didn't even know there was. There's law and justice. That's interesting. interesting. We have law and justice. Wow. Uh, we actually have law and justice honors courses. Wow. Which, like, to me, your vocabulary does not, um, like, skirt around anything. Like, you are right at it as if you're around a bunch of adults sitting around a table and you value the, the YA, in, you know, the intelligence of YA. Um, you value their intelligence and you you value their inquisitiveness. And so right. you do not, like what I would say, water it down. Like, no, I mean, I really believe you, gotta, you should talk to kids with respect. You should talk to teens. Like you would talk to somebody else. I don't, really don't believe in talking down. Um, you know, to kids. And, and you, and I mean, you, you try and explain at their level, but you don't talk down to them. So, yes. But your work invites them into this space. Right. To allow them to be able to handle these discussions in an adult manner, in a mature manner, even though they're not adults yet. It's right. like you're giving them that space to be able to wrestle with these topics in a way that they can just not only become more knowledgeable about it, Right. Uh, but to be more open-minded about it. Right. And, and to I mean, they're not adults, but, you know, they're making some decisions. Oh, yeah. And they're having a lot of dialogue, right. too. And their voices right. are being heard. And, and like you said, more respected than ever. And as you point out in the book, you do talk about teen cases and, you know, having, you know, to have your parents know beforehand or not to know. So some of the issues that are facing, it's not just, was it married couples versus single mothers or was it, you know, it's teens as well. Like this is a conversation for all girls and women to have. Right. So that way, and like I said, having that place to be able to have that dialogue with your family and then moving that dialogue out if you would be presented with it in a class or if you're presented with it in your circles, in your social circles or online you know, you just have a better approach and you give people the tools to be able to do that. Right. So, and I just think that's so needed. Um, oh, I'm glad. <laughs> so it's just so needed. Like, and so when it says like, you know, a journalistic perspective, like you really, truly, like that's in your summary of the book. There's this, you yeah. know, I don't know if it says journalistic perspective, but it's like something that. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but it's so true and that's what we need to present to young adults today so then young adults can can leave out of that space of listening yeah of having the internal dialogue making sense of all of that and then making their own informed decisions right informed on truths right Right, but also on what are my family values, what are yes. my religion's values, what are my, you know, my community's values, and that matters. So yes, yes it does. And having a place to be able to take your knowledge and putting your knowledge there, and then having, you know, all of that circling around that knowledge, your faith practice, your, you know, family's moral, you know, value, and all of this. It's a place where you can put the pieces together and you have more of that puzzle that is called a controversial topic because it's so many puzzle pieces. But it's not like they're walking away with a puzzle piece thrown under the table and, they, and 
they just give up on making the puzzle. Right. Or they just go do whatever they feel like doing instead of thinking about it. So yeah. 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 So thank you for giving youth tools through your well, work, you. you know, because to me, that's such a valuable need. I see it every day, you know, in the school systems, I see it every day where youth today, you know, they need that. Well, and you know, it's, I have to say, I, I appreciate my publisher too for being willing to do this because I, I, I mean, I will tell you the number one question I asked them when we talked, I actually, they asked me if I'd be interested. And the number one question I kept asking them was, are you, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure somebody's going to be interested? Are you sure there's a place for this? And they, um, there was even, to be honest, a management change when I was in the middle of the book. And I was really concerned that the new person might say, what are we doing? You know, I, I don't want to publish it, but um, she really stood behind it too. So I'm very grateful for Macmillan, honestly, um, to stand behind this because I think for some publishers, it would be hard. Well, like you said, there are no other books really out there like that. So you take risk with any kind of, you know, controversial topic, any kind of heated emotional debate. Right. There is so such a risk, but it's worth the taking because you're presenting factual information, you're presenting it from many angles, and you're allowing youth that space to be able to take this and springboard out to further investigation. You know, you could get lawyers out of this. You never know. <laughs> you'll, get a, you'll get a letter, you know, 10 years down the road that said, you know, reading this, I was never interested and fascinated and, you know, Supreme Court justice, now I'm on my way, and maybe one day I'll be at the seat. And you'll look back and go, wow, it's bigger than, than what I thought. I thought I was presenting a topic, but what you're doing is sparking an interest. But, you're you know, I, I did that. I have this book, Bootleg. I think you have that in your staff. Yes. Yes. It's about prohibition. But that was really about, you know, from the time you're really young, they're talking to you about drinking and, like, why are adults so hung up on drinking and why do we get so much about that? And so that really is a history, you mm -hmm. know, drug and alcohol education goes back over a hundred years. I mean, there are kids in classes in the 1800s who heard some of the same things that kids hear today in their, in their um, you know, uh, drug awareness presentations and things. So I thought it was worthwhile to show kids that there's a, there's a continuum. You're not the only ones. You're not the first ones. This has been these issues. And why are these issues so important? Well, if, if you knew the history of prohibition, you would understand why people care so much about your health. Mm -hmm. and care so much about you making good decisions there without it all being preachy, right? right. That you hear this, you see the story of the, the price that people paid before, before prohibition and how that changed the, the, the attitudes towards alcohol even. So, you know, and then I sort of did that with Tommy, the gun that, cha that changed America, which is about a weapon of war that moved to the streets. So, um, you know, I joke that I'd already written about guns Guns, booze, and Hillary Clinton. So, you know, why not reproductive rights? <laughs> well, so, what's next for you? Like, do you even do something you not very controversial, to be honest? But I'm not really talking about it yet. So, um, it's because that's it's still in progress. But um, do have timely, not it's timely but not controversial for a moment. I'm going to take a breath on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guarantee that whatever it is that is in your past. Number one, it's going to bless somebody. It's going to encourage somebody. It's going to give somebody the knowledge that they need to go forward in a clear way. So I'm telling you, whatever it is, your style 
I love your writing style. Love it. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just grateful that you were here today to share and talk about Jane, but just to talk about the process and, and getting the, the teenage voice like giving them this place so that they can then shape their own voices. I mean, it's just to me, thank you. Thank you for thank what you, you do. Thank you. Thank I, pre I appreciate you reading it and sharing this. Oh, what are you talking about? Hey, I'm Bonnie and Clyde next week. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I've already taken pictures. I have a Pinterest board and I'm keeping up. Our, so I've already dedicated it though. But next week, I'm Bonnie and Clyde. Um, all the way, plus Dr. Sleep. I'm good. I usually juggle a couple of books at the same time. So I'm always trying to read, read, read. Um, so I'm really excited about Bonnie and Clyde too, because I know I'm going to love it. I know, I know what you're going to do. You're going to get straight to the matter of the fact, and you're going to give me some good storytelling in there to boot, and I know you're going to do it. So tell me. It's, going a, good story. it's yeah. a good story. <laughs> I, I, you go, I know what it's going to be, because it's minute, the minute that I was in Steve Jobs world. Wow. I just, I figured it out pretty early as the reader. Not only could I trust you, like I felt that relationship, like as a reader, I could trust you as a writer, but I felt like you were going to give the all sides approach to something that I'm very passionate about. I'm very passionate about, you know, pro-choice and, and, you know, life and pro-life and, and these are topics that I have had from a very early age but I was never as informed as I am on February what is it the 26th as, <laughs> because now you have given me a great foundation in these pages and I trust you I trust you as a writer and I'm just thankful that YA now has a place to have this experience too. So, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Loved, loved it, loved it. And just, and thank you. So guys, uh, Karen Blumenthal, she's all over the internet. Check her out. <laughs> uh, where do you live most online? Do you spend a lot of time online to um, not really the... No, I try not to because um, I'll spend all day online. I'm very good at procrastinating. <laughs> So. Trust me, the writer's plight. How yeah. much, and then is how much is too much, and then how do you pull away when it needs to be? Yep. Yeah, yep, I got you. Um, yeah. So just oh. thank you for all that you do for youth. Thank you. And thank you for helping bring this to a bigger audience. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that you have a blessed one. And guys, I love y'all so much. Thanks for joining Jen Lowry Writes. You guys are my people. I love y'all. Y'all have a blessed day. All right. Bye, Miss Care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine.
Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it. I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.